of Psalm 51, but just a, uh, the beginning, first few verses. Uh, to, so let's begin. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have mercy on me, God, in your goodness. In your abundant compassion, blot out my offense. Wash away all my guilt. From my sin, cleanse me. For I know my offense. My sin is always before me. Against you alone have I sinned. I have done such evil in your sight that you are just in your sentence, blameless when you condemn. True, I was born guilty, a sinner, even as my mother conceived me. Still, you insist on sincerity of heart. In my inmost being, teach me wisdom. Cleanse me with hyssop that I may be pure. Wash me, make me whiter than snow. Let me hear sounds of joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of our lives. Although, due to original sin, we are sinners. By your great mercy, by your great love, you have sent your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, to not only confer on us your church, but the sacraments, especially the sacrament of confession where we get to experience your infinite love and mercy on such a regular basis. Thank you for the many blessings you have given us. And as we continue on this season of Lent, we continue to ask you to fill us the fullness of the Spirit, to make us courageous in this physical and spiritual battle, that soon may we encounter you three days after the tomb in your resurrected light. We bring all this to you as we pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. St. Peter, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. So having prayed Psalm 51, or the first section of it, we'll get to it here in a minute, but there's really one theme, one word I want to focus on when talking about the sacrament of confession, and Psalm 51 first kind of lays it out. Just hearing this imagery of being washed, being made clean, being as pure, or even whiter than snow. All right. So I had Psalm 51 there on the front, which we prayed with, so... First off, let's do a basic review. We've talked about, now that we've begun the sacraments, uh, three basic elements that every single sacrament uh, has. So a sacrament is first and foremost an outward sign. It's this physical sign. It's something seen and tangible. Secondly, a sacrament is instituted by Christ. So it's sourced in sacred scripture. It can't be uh, any of the popes. It can't even be Peter or Uh, It has to come from Jesus who begins his church and so forth. He gives that power. He bestows that power on the apostles and within apostolic tradition and succession. Ultimately, why is Jesus creating these sacraments? Well, it's to give grace. So specifically the sanctifying grace that we've uh, talked a lot about, communicating sanctifying grace into our bodies and into our souls. And just a little bit more in depth as... Chad, about three weeks ago, a month ago, we were talking about it. Sanctifying grace specifically heals our soul. 
It's this fullness of grace. We have sanctifying grace and actual grace. We made that distinction. But it restores and sanctifies us to God. It reestablishes that covenantal relationship that God has created from the beginning. When we sin, it does, oh, well, you sin, that's it. It's been real, it's been fun, it hasn't been real fun. No, God desires to always reunite himself to us. He always makes a total gift of himself, namely his grace, the sanctifying grace to wash us, to make us clean. He restores within us that fullness of divine life, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit into our souls. And it's uh, always a gratuitous gift. It's totally a free gift. We can never earn it. We can never merit, as we had talked about uh, with Chad, we can never merit by our mere human works alone this sanctifying grace. It's always a complete and free and total gift from God himself in his Son, or through his Son, Jesus Christ, in the unity of the Holy Spirit. So understanding what a sacrament it is, understanding what sanctifying grace is, we also review what sin is. Before all else, sin is a direct offense against God, our Father, and our Creator. More so, it's even a rupture of communion with Him. God is all about communion. He Himself, one God, three persons, is a communion of persons. He establishes the sacrament of the Most Holy Eucharist, which we'll get to eventually. But everything is geared towards communion. It's geared towards a relationship. Even if we fall, which we are not perfect to do to original sin, God always desires this communion between himself and us, between us as creation, his creation, to be brought back to him at all times. So sin, at the same time, it damages communion within the church. So it damages this relationship between myself and God, myself and neighbor, and just the dignity that all of us have individually being made in the image and likeness of God. Therefore, based on all that, based on what sin does to us, we need to ask God's forgiveness. We need to recognize in humility, God, I have messed up. You are God, I am not. Please grant me your forgiveness. But not just forgiveness, reconciliation, literally to be reunited into that covenantal bond between God and man, and ultimately within the church. Now, if all of us have been created by God as our Father and our Creator, who can do this? It's the very second person of the Trinity. It's Jesus Christ, who he sends in the world for our sake, who is like us in all things but sin, who dies on the cross for us in order to reestablish us into the communion of the Blessed Trinity. And then lastly, just a quick review. Uh, we need to make the distinguishing or distinguish between mortal and venial sin. So simply, mortal sin is that uh, deadly sin, one single mortal sin, takes all sanctifying grace away from us, from our soul, which it, we need to go to confession anytime we have a mortal sin that we knowingly know on our soul and our conscience. Uh, we go to the sacrament of confession. And we also have venial sin. So venial sin, like I said, the best analogy I like to use is thinking either of like a boxing match where a boxer, a good boxer, is going to continue to jab into the ribs and other sides until he weakens his opponent long enough that he goes in for the knockout punch. Total knockout, match is over. Or if you had two glasses of water, I've used this before, if you put in a couple of pebbles, some sand, some sediment, you could still drink a lot of the water, but once you get to the bottom of the glass, okay, well, that's where the sediment is. I don't really want to drink that. But if you take some red food coloring and you put in a couple of drops, it's going to saturate the entire glass. So think of the red 
uh, food coloring in the water as mortal sin. Think of the sediment glass as venial sin. So there's still some imperfections, but still a decent amount of sanctifying grace. With one mortal sin, it immediately uh, contaminates it. Uh, we've lost that relationship with God. And then also with respect to mortal sin, four, one, to have fully committed a mortal sin, three conditions need to be met. It needs to be grave or serious matter. So like murder, uh, we'll use that as our example. Always going to be serious there. You have to have full knowledge. And you have to have full consent. So if Blake just really irritates me, ticks me off, and I just overblow rage and anger, I'm going to kill him, not just literally, or yeah, literally I'm going to kill him. I do this, I have full knowledge, this is how I'm going to kill him. I consent to that and I do it. That would be a mortal sin. Premeditated. Yes, premeditated. Don't worry, I'm not going to kill you. So. Blake and I are tight, yes. So. But that would be a clear example of a mortal sin. All three conditions need to be met for a sin to be in fact mortal. So another easy way of remembering this is it's seriously wrong, you know it's seriously wrong, and you do it anyway. So all three need to be met. If all three are not met, it would then it would fall into the category of venial sin. So, so now that we've reviewed all of that. All right, so now let's look at the names of the sacraments. So there's a lot of different names. So that can be kind of confusing, but they actually are an interplay amongst each other, which fully uh, gets to uh, this imagery of washing of being made clean. So, and the catechism details all the names, the different names of the sacrament. And even though they have various names, it's all talking about the one same great, amazing sacrament of uh, penance, of being forgiven, of being brought back into right relationship with God and his church. So the sacrament of penance, that's the most official proper name. Penance or confession are the ones you'll hear most frequently. But the sacrament of penance is given many names and it's simply highlighting the spiritual and physical effects in our lives. So first we have the sacrament of conversion. The sacrament of conversion is ultimately what our lives as disciples are, right? It's Jesus personally naming the twelve, calling the twelve to follow him, to learn from him, to learn how to pray, to have witness before them the very sacraments that Jesus is establishing, the church that he is establishing, which... Today we celebrated here at St. Peter, but since yesterday was Ash Wednesday, the chair of St. Peter and Ash Wednesday fell on the same day, so we had permission to celebrate the chair of St. Peter today, but it's Jesus establishing the rock, namely Peter, upon him he will build his church, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Even in Peter's life, we see this amazing model of conversion. He is not perfect, Jesus knows he's not perfect. And yet he still calls Peter to be the first pope of the church, the leader of the apostolic 12 to ultimately bring these sacraments to the people, to build the church, to go to all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So as a sacrament of conversion, it calls us as disciples to change, to convert, to become more and more confirmed to the image of Christ, which Peter does. Even though he's not perfect, he denies Jesus three times. He is unfaithful, and yet, on the other side of the coin, he's the one that recognizes Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of God. He's the first pope. He 
He's not worthy to die the same crucifixion that Jesus does. He is crucified upside down. So by the end of his life, he is fully united to Christ. He's fully converted. He will do anything and stake his very life for it. So this sacrament makes sacramentally present Jesus' call to conversion. The first step in returning to the Father from whom one has strayed by sin. No matter what the sin is, no matter if it's 10,000 mortal sins and 50,000 venial sins, but one step back towards the Father and we can receive the fullness of his love and mercy. So every single day of our lives, brothers and sisters, is this uh, conversion, and especially in this Lenten season as we, through prayer, fasting, and almsgiving, desire to seek the living Christ in all things. Uh, the sacrament of penance, so probably the most formal title of the sacrament, it consecrates the Christian sinner's personal and ecclesial steps, ecclesial meaning uh, church-related, so uh, steps within the church of conversion, penance, and satisfaction. We'll look a little bit more at satisfaction, what that entails. Uh, the sacrament of confession. In this sacrament, we are called to disclose our conscience and reveal our sins in absolute confidentiality to the priest. And this is an essential element of the sacrament. The penitent acknowledges and praises in the sacrament the holiness of God and of his mercy towards sinful humanity. So here it emphasizes once again the importance of the seal of confession. No matter what, no circumstance, there is no way, shape, or form that myself as a priest or any priest in the history of the church, past, present, and future, can we reveal sins within the context of the sacrament of confession. And if we do, it's so serious because it shows the beauty and dignity of the sacrament. It, uh, it protects that intimate relationship between God and his uh, children, his humanity. If one is to intentionally break the seal of confession, that, that priest is immediately excommunicated and you can only be brought back into the fold of the church by the Pope himself. Yeah, so very, of all the... Uh, penalties, ecclesial church penalties, whether it's for religious or whether it's for the laity, I would say the breaking, intentionally breaking the seal of confession, I would say is number one or easily in the top three. I mean, there's a few other that you have to go directly to the Pope or you might be able to go to like a local ordinary or cardinal or something, but immediately with, yeah, hey, so-and-so, you won't believe what they told me in confession a, B, and C. Like, yeah, you can't do that. And there's a lot of, you think it's just something like that, but indirectly, you have to be careful with how you use your language because people can be smart enough and put two and two together. They're like, uh, is he talking about this person? So, yeah, so you're really just giving the entirety of your life to God through the person of the priest. It's between you and God and no one else. Uh, another name is the Sacrament of Forgiveness. Pretty straightforward. This is the ultimate effect of the sacrament when we partake of it is the forgiveness of our sins. So being washed away in that sense. And then finally, fifth name, sacrament of reconciliation. So what do we mean definition-wise reconciliation? Reconciliation means the act or state of reestablishing friendship between God and man. So I think it helps to understand that covenantal relationship, that covenantal theology we've been kind of 
expressing these last uh, few weeks in our classes here, but everything is always about a covenant, reestablishing that covenant if it's been broken, if it has been broken, then just seeing the blessings and strengths and graces that God gives to us when we are in right relationship with him in this covenant that is meant to be for all time, for all eternity. So by receiving this sacrament, we are not only reconciled to God, we're also reconciled to the church and all of creation. So being members of the church by our baptism, all of creation is further strengthened in this. So reconciliation in multiple senses even. And it imparts to the sinner the love of God who reconciles. And that's another effect, so to speak, of reconciliation is, yes, a bestowal of mercy, but ultimately we see God's unchanging, perpetual love for us. No matter if we sin, God always desires to bring us back into the fold. So that beautiful image of the good shepherd or the prodigal son, all those beautiful, most well-known parables uh, we know from sacred scripture. Uh, This letter A is from the Catechism, so just kind of an overview. The whole power of the sacrament of penance consists in restoring us to God's grace, but specifically sanctifying grace, and joining us with him in an intimate friendship, just like he did with the apostles, just like he did uh, in all the persons whom he encountered in his three years of public ministry. Reconciliation with God is thus the purpose and effect of the sacrament. For those who receive the sacrament of penance with contrite heart and religious disposition, reconciliation is usually followed, ideally is followed by peace, a serenity of conscience. Uh, If you go to confession as Catholics, especially your first time or just any time we go, uh, it feels like a hundred pounds or thousand pounds are lifted off of our shoulders just to know that we are back in right relationship with God. It is a very powerful, beautiful uh, peace and consolation that the Spirit gives us. Indeed, the sacrament of reconciliation with God brings about a true spiritual resurrection. For sure, a spiritual resurrection, but I think in certain respects, like I said, that feels like you've been a thousand pounds lifted off your shoulders. I would argue even a certain sense, a, a physical uh, resurrection, just being re- renewed and uh, reinvigorated with uh, the grace that God so desires to give us to become uh, those new soldiers of Christ, to pick up our, our battle axes, our arrows, to continue to fight the good fight. It restores the dignity and blessings of the life of the children of God, which we have first received at baptism, which we'll see in the next uh, slide here in a minute of which the most precious is friendship with God. This is the greatest gift always. So faith, hope, and love, the greatest of these is love. God is love, and he desires to ultimately unite himself to us, he who is love, this friendship, this friendship unlike any other. All right, so the next section, why a sacrament of reconciliation after baptism? So I think very often, maybe even far too often, we talk about the relationship between Penance and the Eucharist, which don't get me wrong, is very important, but it was preached to me all the time in my scripture classes that we need to focus a lot more on baptism. But now, and this is uh, the second point that the catechism makes too, is we talk so much about penance and the Eucharist, but we need to first talk about the relationship between baptism and the sacrament of penance. So it is clear, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians, 
Brothers and sisters, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. This is true. Thanks be to God. All of us uh, are soon going to be baptized. We're going to be washed in the water and blood of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are going to be sanctified and justified in his name. We are no longer pagans, so to speak, but we are now united, incorporated into God's own body. So through conversion, we are indeed a new creation. We are holy and without blemish because of this great sacrament of baptism. We've been washed by the blood and water of Christ. But we still need penance. We still need this sacrament, and we need it on a regular basis. Why? I've just said, Father, that I've been washed. I'm this new creation. I've been justified. I'm set. Original sin still exists. We are still sinners. Just because we have been washed or those who are going to be baptized, original sin is washed away. All of your personal sins are washed away. It's an amazing reality. But we're still plagued. We're still defiled by original sin. Nothing is going to prevent us, even as hard as we try, without God's grace, we're still fallen. We still have that plague of concupiscence, that inclination to sin. And we might get upset with that. We might get frustrated with that. But ultimately, it's an extension of God's love and mercy. He knows that we're going to trip and stub our toe and fall. But Jesus is there to pick us up, to show us that you're going to mess up, but I still love you. Let me bandage your wounds. Let me heal you. Let me give you the very balm of my wounds, my pierced hands, my side, my feet. I've been pierced for your sake. Let me give you these graces. So it's ultimately just a further extension of the love and mercy that God so desires to give us. Yes, we have received baptism, thanks be to God, but we can continually be washed clean uh, by Jesus in another way. So I think is it uh, St. Augustine talks about the two different types of water, so to speak, the waters of baptism, but then the tears of our sins, but then the tears being washed away uh, by the blood and water of Christ himself. So making that two distinction of the sacrament of baptism and the sacrament of confession, of penance. Further, the uh, catechism states in uh, paragraph 1426, Nevertheless, the new life received in Christian initiation has not abolished the frailty and weakness of human nature, as I was just saying before, nor the inclination to sin that tradition calls concupiscence. Concupiscence which remains in the baptized, such that with the help of the grace of Christ, they may prove themselves in the struggle of Christian life. This is the struggle of conversion. So coming back to conversion really the greatest challenge uh, of our faith. This conversion is ultimately the goal, being further united, further converted to the heart of Christ. So this is the struggle of conversion directed towards holiness, directed towards eternal life to which the Lord never ceases to call us. So yes, baptism washes our sins away initially, brothers and sisters, but confession, and this finally is the word, it all comes together. This is the word I've been bringing us to this whole time. Confession absolves us of our sins following baptism. Confession absolves us of our sins. Yes, initially we've been washed away from original sin or personal sin, depending if you get uh, baptized as an adult. 
But the word absolve or absolution literally means to wash completely clean, to wash away any and all impurities uh, and so forth. So we'll get to that in a little bit, but yeah, I want to share that now because it really hopefully makes you think of the sacrament in a completely new way. From the scenes that I showed you from uh, praying with Psalm 51 where David himself is coming back to this being washed, being made clean, scourging away these impurities, cleansing and washing. This is what the sacrament of confession does. It's so powerful. It's so beautiful. It literally brings us uh, that greater understanding, I think, of St. Faustina and her uh, divine mercy. This understanding of what divine mercy actually is. It's Jesus's heart being pierced for our sake and washing us clean this torrent of love and mercy and grace that knows no bounds, that continues to wash us like this infinite uh, tidal pool, so to speak. So when we hear the words, the prayer of absolution, we can literally imagine ourselves being washed clean as Jesus' side cleansed the face of the centurion, who up until that point was abetting, helping out, putting Jesus to death, the worst death possible, and yet Jesus is still merciful to him. This is the power of the words of absolution, to always understand that. All right, so now let's look kind of with the review I said, and uh, I want to break down the sacrament of confession in those three primary ways. So a sacrament is an outward sign. It's instituted by Christ in order to give grace. So we'll look at the sacrament in these uh, three specific ways. So first, like all the sacraments, it is first an outward sign. So what is the proper matter? of the sacrament of confession. The proper matter or the physical aspect that we're looking for is a penitent confessing one's sins, but specifically with contrition. The contrition is essential. Contrition, properly speaking, per the catechism, states that it is the sorrow of the soul, but more it's the detestation for the sin committed. So I think even detestation is a stronger word than hate. You know, the joke is like little kids say, well, I don't like or I, or I hate this person. Oh, don't say hate. That's a strong word. Okay, well, I don't like him. But to say I detest sin, I want nothing to do with sin. This is what contrition is. The detestation for the sin committed together with the resolution not to sin again. Among the penitent's acts, also, the catechism tells us it occupies uh, the first place. So it's one thing to confess our sins, but if we're just kind of ho-hum and, all right, Father, yeah, it's been so long since my last confession. I did these things. But if the priest in any way, shape, or form sees that the penitent is not contrite for his sins, is like, yeah, you know, I did this, but I'd probably do it again, thinking about it now. Or, there's a lot of different ways that a penitent, based on their tone of voice or how they express the sins that they're in theory confessing, or just the priest asking straight up, well, are you sorry for these sins? And sometimes you might just say, eh, no, not really. Like, I'm going to do it again. I don't see any uh, change in my life, which it's no longer confession at that point. As a priest, we can't give absolution to someone who is still set on committing those same sins, who doesn't have this resolve and detestation of sin. If they're just going to continue to do the same thing, then that's an attack on Christ, or it's an abuse of the sacrament, or lack thereof. So until the person truly recognizes 
that they have sinned, that they are truly sorry for that sin, and they want to enter uh, authentic discipleship and conversion of heart, it is then that Christ will always extend that love and mercy. But if we don't have this contrition of heart, then that is a problem. That's why it is the proper matter of the sacrament. To confess our sins, yes, but secondly and equally important, if not more important, is uh, contrition. All right, so from there we have two types of contrition. We have perfect contrition and imperfect contrition. Imperfect contrition can also be named as attrition. So this type of contrition is primarily motivated by the fear of hell or the ugliness of sin. I would say more often than not, people are motivated by the fear of hell. Of course, none of us want to go to hell, so we go to confession. Or if I commit a serious sin, like, oh, I need to get to confession. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to die and go to hell. Like those types of thoughts, that that can be the case. Now, I would say a decent number of people have imperfect contrition, but that is still good enough. It's like, oh, well, I don't have perfect contrition. Does that mean that God is going to forgive me of all my sins? Or is he only going to forgive me of 90% of my sins? And because I have imperfect contrition, there's still a, a mark left? No. Imperfect contrition is still valid for the sacrament of confession. But ideally, God wants us to have perfect contrition. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. So perfect contrition, we are sorry ultimately because we have offended God. We go to confession because we are motivated for a love of God, because we want to be totally united with Jesus. We want to be totally united and brought back into perfect relationship with God our Father. So a person is contrite with perfect contrition because he or she loves the one who has been offended. And we see this in the act of contrition itself. Uh, So there are two different types, but I'll use the longer one because it expresses this very sentiment. Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee. And I detest all of my sins because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell. So you kind of have a hint of perfect contrition, but, but most of all, because I have offended you, oh my God who are all good and deserving of all my love. Perfect contrition. So even though we might have imperfect contrition at times, through the act of contrition, by praying that on a regular basis, God is going to give us that grace. He's going to give us that strengthening of the will to choose him more often than not, to do good and avoid evil. So the sacrament is beautiful in that sense of even many of us, I would say, probably have imperfect contrition because, yeah, we don't. none of us want to go to hell and... In a certain sense, it's good to have at least imperfect contrition as opposed to no contrition at all. Absolutely. But the goal is this daily conversion of heart. Any impurity, any obstacle that's in our way of total love of God, this is what God desires. And it literally might take most of our life to get perfect contrition, and that's okay. Yeah, just seeing the daily effects of our sins, how it breaks, damages that relationship uh, between, like I said, us and God, our neighbor and uh, ourselves. And we really see the consequences and just like it makes us, you know, I think like Adam and Eve in the garden, when their eyes were opened, I think they kind of get that sense of we had everything. We had original justice, perfect communion with God. And now because we ate uh, the fruit we weren't supposed to eat, their eyes were open. They saw each other uh, naked. They cover themselves in the fig leaves and they hide and everything. It's like, I messed up big time. 
And yet God still loves us. And even though they get kicked out of the garden, he says, I have a plan. Remain with me. But you're going to have to work for it now, and, but I'll help you. But I'm now, even though through your stupidness, your sinfulness, so to speak, I'm still going to show you that this plan is going to further show how much I love for you, how much I care for you. So even in our own uh, brokenness due to original sin and concupiscence, we continue to see how good God is in our life so that we can continually say yes to him and like, God, you truly do love me. You truly are willing, my good, so much so that you sent your only begotten son into the world to die the most gruesome, awful, terrible death so you can bring me back into right relationship. Like that's the beauty of perfect contrition. And like I said, it probably is going to take most of our lives to get that. Maybe we can get there sooner rather than later, but that's a grace right now to be praying for on a regular basis. Help me to truly have perfect contrition to be motivated by total love of God at all times. But yeah, imperfect contrition, if you do have that in confession, it's sacrament of confession is still completely valid and yeah, good to go. So there's no uh, fears or worries about that. All right, so the proper form then, the formula, the words, the prayer, is the prayer of absolution. Now I'll pull this up. So those who are entering the church... Starting yesterday, there is a new translation for the prayer of absolution. Two or only two words have changed, but us priests still put the card in the confessional so we don't mess it up. Now, if we were to mess it up and we did the old one, it would still be valid. So don't worry about that. I've only had to do it once. I'm one for one. Yes. So it used to be, let me see if I can, without looking at it. So the old one was, God the Father of mercies through the death and resurrection of his Son has reconciled the world to himself and sent the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace, and I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So that was the old one. But as you see, two words have changed. Now it's God the Father of mercies through the death and resurrection of his Son has reconciled the world to himself and poured out to the Holy Spirit among us for the forgiveness of sins. Through the ministry of the church, may God grant, instead of give, grant you pardon and peace. But the essential, all of it is essential, but the actual proper form of the sacrament goes back to that word absolve. It's all centered around the word absolve. And I absolve you from your sins in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah, so when they're, anytime they do translation for the rites itself, they're always going to be looking at the formal languages. So what does the Latin say? What does the Greek say? Maybe even the Hebrew. And they're going to come to the most accurate translation possible. That's like when they change the prayers within the Mass itself. And like for the Creed, it went from we believe to I believe. It was credo. So credo means I believe. It doesn't mean we believe. So they changed that. So stuff like that. They're always looking at different rites and prayers. How can we make it more accurate, more? This is what I wanted to focus on. The sacrament of confession is all about absolution. Absolve means literally to wash away. All of our sins are washed away by Christ and Christ alone. And he uses his priest as his instrument of love and mercy. Which for me, one of the greatest people ask all the time, Father, what's the best thing to do as a priest? 
If it's not offering the most holy sacrifice of the mass, it's definitely hearing confessions. To be able to be this mere instrument, why God chose me, I don't know, but he did. And just being able to provide wisdom, to provide knowledge, to have the Holy Spirit speaking through me, to be able to absolve sins through the power of Christ. It's, it's Words can't put it, uh, can't describe it. It's just a really powerful and beautiful sacrament. And not to be offended, like if you come back after 10 minutes being away from the confession, like, oh, Father's going to think I'm this horrible sinner, terrible person. Like, you can come back as often as you want. That's why it's there. Like this word absolve is that powerful, going back to his side being pierced. This pool never runs out. It's this torrent of love and mercy for all time until the end of time. So just as Christ uses the priest to wash away sins in baptism through the pouring of water, so Christ uses the priest in the sacrament of confession. So there again, coming back to that beautiful relationship, not of penance and the Eucharist, which is still important, don't get me wrong, but we see once again this beautiful relationship between the sacrament of baptism leading to the sacrament of confession and this prayer of absolution. Okay, so outward sign, we've seen the proper form of the matter. Yeah. So now instituted by Christ. Or where do we see confession in sacred scripture? We don't see the word confession. We don't see any of the names of the sacraments necessarily in sacred scripture, but yet it is there. In John chapter 20, verse 23, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I send you. So this apostolic sending out to do what? To baptize all nations. He gives, and when he had said this, he breathed on them. He said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this, the most important line. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Or whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. In Matthew chapter 16, whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So instituting the sacraments, giving the apostles this authority, and through apostolic tradition, through uh, the installation of bishops and priests all throughout the world, the same apostolic tradition, this church that has been built on the rock, built on the rock of Peter, uh, to bring this great sacrament to the world, to continue to have people receive firsthand the love and mercy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to receive the Holy Spirit. Uh, so even though it's the priest working in the person of Christ, it's not me healing, absolving your sins. It is God who is absolving your sins. So God and God alone is the only one who can heal sins. We're not taking anything away from God. He is the source of all creation. He is all powerful, all merciful. So when we go to confession, yes, we are confessing our sins to Christ. The priest acts in the person of Christ in persona Christi on behalf of Christ and his church, which he has established. So through the priest, we tr talk directly to God. We hear his voice and the spiritual advice. Given everything, you are hearing the voice of Christ. Now, that falls on us, too. We need to be prepared, and the devil hates confession. So uh, asking the Holy Spirit to guard us and protect us in the midst of confession, especially if it's many hours in the confessional, all these different things. Like It's still Christ you're talking to, but uh, we ourselves need to be on guard uh, for your sake as well. So it's a two-way street there. All right, so why confess our sins to a priest? So we kind of talked a little bit about it, but we'll just go through this here. Uh, in confession, as I said, our sins are not merely forgiven, but beautifully our sins are absolved. So we now have this better understanding of what absolved truly means. 
So among the many things we say about the sacrament of reconciliation, the central teaching we should cling to with much gratitude is this gift of absolution, this gift that Jesus offers to us eternally. Absolution means that once we have done our part by preparing, cultivating contrition and confessing, God then does his part. And we make, it's not the lesson, his part, believe me, yeah, it's the essential, beautiful, fulfilling part. He absolves all sin. This is done through the ministry of the priest and is imparted to us through the prayer of absolution. Once the priest prays it over us, our sins are wiped clean. In this loose bind language, the priest who acts in the person of Christ, because God has established Peter, this rock, the apostolic 12, to uh, distribute, administer this sacrament, it's us as the priest who is working in the person of Christ to prudently determine whether or not the penitent, he is willing and ready, he or she is willing to uh, be contrite of heart, to absolve them or to not absolve them or to retain a penitent sin. So it comes back to, is the penitent truly contrite? If they're not, well, you're not ready for confession yet. We're going to bind these sins until you are ready. I'm more than happy to meet with you or if there's some miscommunication, misunderstanding. Let's meet and talk about it. You're ready. Let's loose those sins and so forth. So in that sense, yeah, the church, we as priests, we do have that responsibility then to be prudent, to ask the Spirit to give us uh, wise, uh, yeah, increase of wisdom to be able to discern, dissect sins and so forth for the sake of the penitent to be able to loosen those as Christ so desires to uh, show that uh, extensive mercy in all in all areas. All right, and then finally, uh, to give grace. So what are the effects of the sacrament? So jump through this. It reconciles the penitent uh, with God. So going back to that understanding of reconciliation, reunite that covenantal relationship. Uh, it's true spiritual resurrection, as I said before. Uh, from the catechism, the whole power of the sacrament of penance consists in restoring us to God's grace and joining us with him in an intimate friendship. That, that was before, I think, so we'll skip from that. Secondly, uh, the sacrament reconciles the penitent with the church, the body of Christ. So again, that threefold relationship. We are members of the church by our baptism, so strengthening, increasing uh, the grace within the church in that sense. Uh, catechism tells us through Respect to sin, it damages or even breaks entirely fraternal communion, which is why forgiveness and mercy and love are so important. Uh, the sacrament of penance repairs or restores it. In this sense, it does not simply heal the one restored to ecclesial communion, but has also a revitalizing effect on the life of the church, which suffered from the sin of one of her members. So going back to when I taught the lesson on Mary and the communion of saints, also the catechism tells us that when we go to confession, it includes being strengthened in union with the communion of saints. So namely, we're reestablished in the communion of saints. So this mystical body, this physical and spiritual body. Uh, so the, for the church, we have the church on earth. We have the church in heaven. And it's like the church militant, suffering, penitent, all the uh, purgatory and everything. But we see the mystical body of, church, of the church, the physical and spiritual aspect of that. So anytime we go to confession... We're reinvigorated into the full life of the body of the church, the communion of saints who are in heaven interceding on our behalf to be those uh, church militant to strive uh, for the sake of the kingdom in that way. So pretty cool to see that connection as well. Uh, also forgive sins, all mortal and venial sin. The penitent anticipates the final judgment per the catechism. 
So by making frequent use of confession, the penitent in his conversion to Christ passes from death to life. And per John in chapter 5, verse 24, does not come into judgment. So when we make a regular use of the sacrament on confession, more or less, we're guaranteeing, in the best sense of the term, we're guaranteeing that we're on the right path. If we're going making frequent use of the sacraments, confession, the Eucharist, God is going to endow us with every single grace we need to be on the right path to get to heaven. Even though we don't have perfect knowledge in that sense, by making use of the sacraments, we're basically putting ourselves on that straight and narrow path. Uh, restores a penitent to a state of sanctifying grace if lost by mortal sin. Provides peace of conscience, the weight being lifted off, and it provides the grace and strength to resist sin in the future. So even if you come back, Father, I keep confessing the same sin over and over and over again. Yeah, but you're still contrite. You don't desire this sin in your life, and you're working with the grace of Christ to overcome this. And that's a way the devil can get shame and guilt. Guilt is fine, but if we have shame, shame has no part in our life. The devil just wants to place as much shame into our minds as possible. Place that at the foot of the cross. Because first and foremost, we are beloved children of God. We're made in the image and likeness of God, and we're this by way of our baptism. So... Uh, don't get frustrated in that sense. Easier said than done, but that's why we have uh, the sacrament of confession to continue to give you that strength to overcome whatever sin or sins that we struggle with. Uh, integral confession, more or less, to make a good confession, first and foremost, any and all ven- or mortal sins that we know of, we need to confess, but specifically, kind and number. So basically, what did you do? How many times did you do it? And the how many times, I know we're all sinners, we don't like saying how many times we did a sin because it just continually breaks us down, but it's good breaking down. It's breaking this pride and expressing, desiring a humility. It's not because the priest wants to be nosy and know every single detail of your life, but as a confessor, as a, uh, it able, enables us to give you a better medicinal spiritual penance. So, for example, if you go to the doctor and say, Doc, I hurt my back. And that's all you say, and he just gives you a medication. Might be too weak, might be too strong. Like he needs more information. Did you hurt your back shoveling the driveway the other day, and you had just minor aches and pains, or were you climbing up a ladder and one of the rungs was super icy, and you fell off the ladder and hit your back not once but twice? So the distinction between a mortal sin and venial sin. He needs to know, not because he wants to know every single detail of your life, but it helps him give, or helps him be able to form a better medicinal, spiritual penance for the sake of your physical and spiritual well-being. So no, we don't care. After a month of being a priest, if not less, you hear pretty much every single sin under the sun. Sin is boring. You can never be created. Oh, I'll give a sin that Father's never heard. It's impossible. So you're, you're not unique and awesome in, in that sense. So just kind of number, very important. But if a penitent intentionally withholds a mortal sin in the confession so let's say he confesses some mortal sins that he knows but one that he's just too ashamed and intentionally withholds that that would be committing a sin of sacrilege because you're not fully entering into that so then i would just go to confession again like father forgive me like last confession i withheld this so forgiving that especially if it's face to face he would still know you so if you want to confess all of your sins again just to like you can but ultimately, yeah, not withholding anything again. The priest doesn't care what sins are confessed. The fact that you're there is the most important thing. And the priest loves the fact that people make use of the sacrament. So, um, all right. And then interior penance. 
penance, so you confess your sins for your penance, do this. So it's carrying out a penance to repair the damage of our sin, which it has caused us. So generally, most often is for your penance, pray these prayers. Uh, let's say, Father, I stole a million dollars from uh, charity. It could, you, your penance could be a restitution of some sort of like, well, maybe it's not give the million dollars back if you haven't spent it. That'd be ideal type thing. But like, uh, I would like you to make a financial uh, restitution to a Catholic charity of your choice or something like it could be a penance like that or acts of charity. If you struggle getting along with someone like uh, the enemy right now, just say something nice to them or do an act of charity for them, help them out in some way. If you're struggling to get along with, so it could be something like that. Now, if a priest offers you a penance and you think it's too hard for you to do, you have every freedom to say, father, I don't think I can do that penance. Could you give me a different one? Now this is pretty rare. Usually, again, I'm not terribly difficult in penances. At least I don't think I am. I haven't ever gotten that. So analogy that's used often is the window analogy. You go to your friend's house. You're tossing the football around in the backyard. And you say, hey, go deep. You throw it long. You throw the football through the, your neighbor's windows, mom's window. So you go in. You tell mom, hey, we're playing catch in the backyard. We accidentally or intentionally, however you want to look at it, threw the ball through the uh, glass window. It shattered. I'm sorry. Mom accepts your apology, but you can't just leave it at that, right? The window is still broke. You still have to make satisfaction, repair the window, and so forth. So thinking of the sacrament of confession and penance specifically, that your sins have been forgiven, but then the last step, okay, got to make satisfaction, got to atone for this. Let me do the material or the prayer, so to speak, or whatever your penance is to make that restoration. Okay, and then last few catechism paragraphs i'll just read through that and we'll call it unless the last question so jesus is called a conversion and penance like that of the prophets before him does not aim first at outward works or sackcloth and ashes fasting and mortification these things are good but they need to be tied with what we've been talking about this whole time conversion of the heart interior conversion this absolution this washing away Doing that then tied with these works, that's when they're most uh, fruitful. So without this, such penances remain sterile and false. Interior conversion urges expression in visible signs, gestures, and works of penance. And then interior repentance is a radical reorientation of our whole life, a return, a conversion to God with all our hearts, an end of sin, a turning away from evil with repugnance toward the evil actions we have committed. At the same time, it entails the desire and resolution to change one's life with hope in God's mercy and trust in the help of his grace. I would say that for me, the two images that stand out is the prodigal son here, but also uh, just looking at the life of Mary Magdalene from the beginning of the gospel to the end, just seeing her radical transformation and her conversion of heart, Paul, Obviously, that's a classic example, too. So, I mean, you see in the lives of the saints, too, just this in action and in our own lives, just continuing to seek the love and mercy that Christ bestows, bless you, in uh, this beautiful sacrament. Uh, the last thing I did want to point out, I won't read that last uh, quote there. You can read that on your own, but all sacraments are Trinitarian in character. So I do want to point that out, too. I had a great conversation with a gentleman. Don't think he was Catholic. Or yeah, he would. We wouldn't have been arguing about this, so to speak. But like, <clears throat> why why go to confession? I was like, well, it's Trinitarian. Well, what do you mean? 
I've never heard that before. What do you mean? Like, well, all sacraments have to be Trinitarian, or God so desires them to be Trinitarian because that's who he is. So when we go into the sacrament of confession, we enter into this dialogue. You, the penitent, are talking to me, the priest, who is in the person of Christ. Through the uh, prayer of absolution, what's being done, again, this pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon you for the forgiveness of sins, in order to do what? What's the end goal? Reconciliation. To be brought back into right relationship with God. So Father, Son, and Spirit are fully present, not only in the sacrament of confession, but all seven sacraments. But I, for me, it really uh, is powerful to see the fullness of all three persons in the sacrament of confession in that way to further show the beauty of the sacrament of God is present. He is the one healing you. He's the one that's doing the heavy lifting and uh, carrying that cross with us to make of us a new creation at all times. So, yeah. So all things are Trinitarian. All of creation, all good things come in three. So, yeah. All right. Any final questions, comments, concerns? Titus, Paul's giving instructions to Titus, who's a bishop in Crete. And he says in five appoint presbyters, which is the root of the word priests, and then in, later on in seven for a bishop, he gives qualifications for a bishop, so you see those words there. Um, but just uh, as we're going through that, and I think as we consider the sacraments going forward, to consider um, that these New Testament epistles and letters are kind of written as instruction manuals to go along with oral teaching. So if we have that in our framework, so you might not be able to say confession, where is that directly in the New Testament, or Where's holy orders or where is the anointing of the sick? You can see references there, but you have to take them in context with, well, maybe there's further instructions that preceded these letters that were being sent back. Vern, I thought was very instructive on that when he said, uh, back when we were talking about understanding, well, he said it in the context of understanding the great story um, approaching sacred scripture. Like the proper context of reading the books of the Bible is the when they were written and in the context of scripture as a whole doesn't mean it's not instructive for us now the Lord be with you and with your spirit through the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ may it come down upon you so that your hearts may be filled with his love and you may be restored to his kingdom for all the glory of heaven May Almighty God bless you all. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. They come down upon you so that your hearts may be filled with his love and you may be restored to his kingdom for all the glory of heaven. May Almighty God bless you all. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace. Thank you for listening to this great content from St. Peter Catholic Church. For more content, for other talks, for more information, please visit St. Peter Catholic Church, Lincoln, Nebraska, on Apple iTunes or on Podbean, and our parish website, stpeterlincoln.com. God bless you.